Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Because I've got the opportunity now to share, I speak about a lot of the things that, uh, that are on my heart and got what God's been doing in my life. Uh, obviously pray and trust that, uh, that what I share is actually what God wants to share with all of us, he wants to speak to all of us about. But, um, but the word today is just something that I've been thinking about for years and years and years, uh, most of my Christian life, and, um, and wrestling with and thinking about and trying to make sense of um, the title, Living in the Tension. So... Yeah, it'll make a bit more sense just now. Let's read the, the scripture uh, from Hebrews 11. Just for interest's sake, is there anyone here who really is like one of their favorite scriptures, Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11. The Hall of Faith. It's a great, great section of scripture. So Hebrews 11, we're going to actually touch on it a few times in the sermon. And then we'll also touch on another piece of scripture closer to the end. The Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 10, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In another translation, it actually says, whose architect and builder is God. So any architects here, you can go, wow, um, God is also an architect. God's also a builder. That's awesome. Whose designer and builder is God. Just skipping ahead to verse 13 in Hebrews 11, it says, it speaks of the, of the hall of faith and all of these people that, that the author is speaking about. And says, these all died in faith. Which is a very interesting line already. Died in faith. Not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. It's very interesting. It's an interesting word picture for me. Like greeting it from afar. You know. You see it, it's there in the distance, and you just greet it. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land which they've gone out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Awesome, awesome scripture. Awesome scriptures. Um, I'm just going to pray first quickly and then we'll start. Yes, Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that your word is powerful. And uh, that it's, you know, I think of that scripture, it says it's, it's a double-edged sword, Lord. It's cutting between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, God. And I pray this morning that your word would minister to us, God, would speak to us, and would even change us, God. 
We bring you our hearts this morning, Lord. We bring you especially our minds and our thoughts and an absolute sea of information and ideas that we get bombarded with every day, Lord. Every day. God, we ask you, come and show us your truth. Holy Spirit, we thank you that Jesus spoke about that the Spirit will lead you into all truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, and we pray that you would lead us into all truth, because we want to know the truth, God, because the truth will set us free. And uh, we thank you for, for this time in your word this morning. Holy Spirit, be here and minister to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when, just after I studied Stellenbosch University, I went uh, with quite a few friends, it was a bit easier back then, uh, in like 2005, we went to London, we went to live in London for two years, Shofar had just planted a congregation in, Shof- in London, I don't know if anyone's been to Shofar London by the way, hey Neil's been there, Steph was there, yeah. anyone else, anyone else? Derek, I met Derek in Shofar London, wow, a long time ago now, eh? ancient, um, Living in London for a year and a half uh, to two years, when I was there, we went up twice, once by bus, which was, it was a horrible experience, driving in a bus overnight up to Edinburgh in Scotland. We drove from London. I'll share this with you because there's nothing high and mighty about me. Um, I was tired, so I took my pillow, and I don't know about if you've driven on a bus before long distance especially one where the seat doesn't really go back at all. Very, very hard to get some sleep. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to experiment with all different positions of lying down. And, and the most comfortable position I could find was sitting in the seat, putting the pillow on my lap, and then just lying on the pillow, but forward like this, on the pillow. It was so comfortable, but I actually don't think it was comfortable. I think I was just so tired that I just fell asleep. Now... I hold this against my friends, and I will forever. But they didn't wake me up, and I slept for a few hours like that. <laughs> and obviously, when I woke up, I, I just couldn't sit up straight. <laughs> my back was so sore. <laughs> and, and the guys just laughed, because I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't actually sit upright. <laughs> and uh, so then we went to a Christian music festival in Edinburgh in, a, in, a, um, in an aeroplane hangar. Uh, in, in a great Christian music festival and, uh, and the next year we went again but then we took the train and the train is like four hours and you, you're in Edinburgh so it was much better but, um, but Scotland like we didn't even go into the highlands we didn't go into the most beautiful parts of Scotland but something like was in my heart and I've, I've got family Scottish heritage my name's Andrew a very, very Scottish name um, my grandfather uh, is, well, was a Gori, a Scottish. My grandmother, my, you know, my grandfather on my dad's side is a McIntyre, so there's some Scottish heritage there. But what was, I, I just had this feeling in, when I was in, in London, I had a feeling that I love Scotland already, and I think I'm going to go live in Scotland one day. And I bought books on Scotland, and I love history. If you speak to anyone who knows me, I love history. Uh, in the Gallup Strength Finder tests, um, my number one was context. Uh, I, I just ask so many questions around 
where have you come from? Why are you here? You know, how did you get here? That's, that's how I'm wired. So I ask a lot of questions. But so I read a lot of Scottish history. Obviously, I bought books around William Wallace and all these guys and those wars that they fought, independence wars, um, incredible stories. But anyway, Scotland was, was just getting a place in my heart. So much so that for many years when I was back from London and living in Cape Town, I was still on BBC News every day, uh, once a week on BBC News on the Scottish page. They, they have pictures of Scotland. And then uh, I was looking through those pictures, saving them. Um, and it was just this thing of, what's drawing me? What's drawing me here? And then another story, which was very interesting, was one of our friends, his dad is Swiss. And uh, his dad... And his dad and mom moved back to Switzerland. His mom's South African. But his dad and mom moved back to Switzerland when he was in high school. And then when we were in London all together, he decided he's also going to move back to Switzerland. His siblings are there. So he invited all of us to come visit one at a time, every now and again. And one of my friends went to visit this friend of mine in Zurich, in Switzerland. And he came back. And, and, uh, and he said to us, it's like heaven on earth. It really is. And I remember, I don't know why, but I remember my first thought was like, blasphemy. You cannot say that. <laughs> cannot say that it's like heaven on earth. How could it be like heaven on earth? And I didn't believe him. And then I went to visit my friend two weeks later, and I realized it is quite a bit like heaven on earth. It's, <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful country. And yeah, it's just incredible in many ways. Um, really enjoyed it. But what's interesting is that friend of mine who lived in Switzerland, and he married a Swiss girl, uh, they got some kids, he actually came to South Africa with her, uh, and they moved to Cape Town, and they lived in Cape Town for a year, and they actually came back because they wanted to see if God actually wants to move them back to South Africa. So that'll make sense just now in, in our, uh, as we get on with the message. But Scotland was like, there was something weird drawing me there, and this whole thing of Switzerland being a heaven on earth. So there's two books that I've enjoyed in my life very much. One is a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It took me about three or four months to read it. Because it's very, very heady. And also just the English. I mean, it's 1940s English. Which is very different to English today. So it took me a long time to read, but one of my favorite chapters was right at, close to the end, uh, titled Hope. And it's very short, but it just gave me a lot of context in my life for how I was experiencing life, uh, or how I viewed God and the kingdom of God and heaven. Um, and then another book, which was incredible. I don't know how I found it, but it's called Heaven, and it's by D.L. Moody. I don't know if you've heard of D.L. Moody. But he was an evangelist in America in the 1800s. And he did a lot of big crusades. Um, but he wrote this book called Heaven. And this book, for me, it was one of the strongest word-based books on heaven. It was just the word, really. The word and stories about people. I think I'm going to be louder now. This thing is slipping, so every now and again I'm going to be... Loud. Okay. Um, D.L. Moody, Heaven. Great book. I'm going to take extracts from these two books. 
I might leave some of them out just for the sake of time. But there's some of the quotes, and they're quite wordy, but I just feel like these guys sum it up so well. What do they sum up? They sum up living in the tension. They sum up, what is this better country? What is this better country that we all hope for? So C.S. Lewis starts the chapter hope by saying hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people like to think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is, If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next world. Very powerful. Christians who did most for the present world were just with those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, They all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of that other world that we have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Quite something. Aim at heaven, two for one deal, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, but something like it can be seen at work in other matters. He says health is a great blessing, but the moment you make health one of your main direct objects, you start becoming a crank and imagining that there's something wrong with you. You are only likely to get health provided you want other things more. Food, games, work, fun, open air. In the same way, we shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except so far as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason is that is for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the, real, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not even recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that, off, that offer to give it to you, but it never quite keeps its promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love. I don't know if you guys get, you know, falling in love the first time. Or first think of some foreign country. You first think of traveling or going to some other city. Or first take up some subject that excites you. 
I don't know how many of you get excited about something and then a few days later find yourself not very excited about it anymore. I think it's quite normal. It excites us, and our longings, there are longings that which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm now speaking of what would be called ordinary, ordinary be called unsuccessful marriages, or holidays, or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. So he's saying, he's even speaking of the best possible marriage, the best possible job, the best possible holiday. He's saying there's always something in our experience, you do it, or you're in it. And it's not altogether there. You're not feeling at 100% like this is it, you know. I think everyone knows what I mean. The, the wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and the chemistry may have been an interesting job, but something has evaded us. He's, uh, C.S. Lewis is an incredible apologist. He just kind of takes these big concepts and makes it understandable. I mean, that kind of thing that I've just read, you can actually share with non-believers or people from other religions. And it's something that everyone will go, yes, there's something in that. You know, we desire certain things, but we don't find fulfillment. We, we struggle, and then we just move on to something else. And we'll speak about that just now. I love this. I've got to read it too because it's just incredible. By D.L. Moody. The same, pretty much on the same trant. Uh, D.L. Moody starts by saying, What has been and is now one of the strongest feelings in the human heart? Is it not to find some better place or some lovelier spot than we have now? Is it for us, uh, is it for this that men are seeking everywhere that they can have it if they will, but instead of looking down, they must look up to find it. As men grow in knowledge, they vie with each other more and more in making their homes attractive. But the brightest home on earth is but an empty barn when compared to the mansions in the sky. What is it that we look for at the decline and close of life? Is it not some sheltered place, some quiet spot where if we cannot have constant rest, we may at least have a foretaste of the rest that is to be? This intrigues me. What, what is it that led Columbus, not knowing what his fate would be, across the unsailed western seas, if it was not the hope of finding a better country? This is what, this is what that sustained, this, this is what sustained the hearts of the Pilgrim Fathers of America, driven from their native land by persecution, as they faced an iron-bound savage coast and an unexplored territory beyond. They were cheered and upheld by the hope of reaching a free and fruitful country where they could be at rest and worship God in peace. Somewhat similar is the Christian's hope of heaven. Only it is not an undiscovered country and in the attractions cannot be compared with anything we know on earth. Perhaps nothing but the shortness of our range of sight keeps us from seeing the celestial gates open to us, and nothing but the deafness of our ears prevents our hearing the joyful ringing of the bells of heaven. There are constant sounds around us that we cannot hear. The sky is studded with bright worlds that our eyes have never seen. Little as we know, 
about this bright and radiant land. There are glimpses of its beauty that have come to, know, come to us now and then. So the tension for me is quite simple. The tension for us, well, tension for me, I'll speak for myself. My tension in life is living between these two worlds. Living on earth, living in heaven, living with heaven in my heart, heaven in my head, but living in a, on earth, dealing with the daily challenges of life. Uh, our son yesterday had a wonderful, probably a class A tantrum uh, after we went to an open day at Inico Primary for about an hour. And you sit there and you've done the disciplining, you've done what you can do, and you just, you just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> the parents are all nodding their heads. There's just so many times in life where we, we go, what is going on here? What is going on here? I think I thought of, that, uh, of the song, Pretty Mercury. There's been a bit of a revival of Queen in the last couple of weeks with this movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, that's come out. Uh, I love Queen. I love their music. We were actually listening to it on the way home from, uh, from our first worship team gathering on Friday night. But one of his songs, This Could Be Heaven for Everyone, I thought about it and I was like, oh, unfortunately there's so many theological problems with that statement. <laughs> it, it would be great, but it's not what the Word says. And uh, so some people think that this earth is the only heaven that we'll experience. When we know and we've experienced that this earth or this world is a home of sin, it's a house or a hospital of sorrow and a place that has nothing in it, nothing in it to satisfy our souls. Men go all, out, all over it. Men go all over it and they want to get out of it. The more men see of this world, the less they think of it. People soon grow tired of the best pleasures it has to offer. Someone has said that the world is a stormy sea whose every wave is strewed with the wrecks of the mortals that perish in it. Every time we breathe, someone is dying. We all know that we are going to stay here for a little while. Someone said we meet each other. We meet one another, we salute one another and pass on and then are gone. It's an inch of time. We're living in an inch of time and then eternity will roll on. What's interesting about, I, I just love this, this scripture in Hebrews 11 of Abraham seeking the city with foundations. And it's kind of interesting because I... I mean, I know there's some people who love rural, love to live rural, some people love to live in cities. But if we look at the Word of God, there's something special about cities. God really moves in, and like, there's a lot of imagery of cities too, which we'll end with. Revelation 21, the greatest city that ever will be. But what's crazy about the cities of the past is they are gone. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. But the Roman Empire, where is it today? It's in ruins. The Byzantine Empire, Alexander the Great, it's gone. These great cities, these great accomplishments of man, huge cities, wonderful cities, 
Um, I've been to New York a few times for our coffee benches. Wow, city. Amazing to look at it from afar, <laughs> but when you're in it, it's a crazy city. It's dirty. It smells really bad. <laughs> in the summer, it gets really hot. And my folks-in-law are from Natal, and I know there it's like 40 and 100% humidity. But this is New York City. It's 100% humidity and 40 in between those buildings. These cities that we kind of go, oh, I want to be in the big city. You know, I want to go live in the big city. But uh, just think about it. Like these cities come and go. These cities come and go. I can tell you now that Abraham was not looking for a city on this earth. He was looking for a heavenly city. One that has, it actually says in one of the translations, eternal foundations. Eternal foundations. Now listen to this. God drives his plowshare through cities, D.L. Moody says. And they are upheaved like furrows in the field. Behold, says Isaiah, the nations, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Heaven. I realized when I was preparing for the sermon that I'll have to do part two. Because there's so much. Like, we don't speak about heaven very often. We don't speak about... And I, I was thinking about that, like, why? And I think sometimes we're almost embarrassed to speak about heaven in terms of, like, it's... You know, it's, is it wishful thinking? You know, to, to people who don't believe... Uh, even to some people who do believe, like that our hope is in heaven, that we really, we're really longing for that day. Uh, even this year, I was super challenged, like beginning of this year, thinking about, am I longing for the return of Christ? Do I have a desire for him to return? Oh man, it challenges me. And I just know that the early church, that was a cry, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. They wanted Christ to return. Heaven, there's... Lots going on in heaven. There's lots of inhabitants. Uh, in the book Heaven by D.L. Moody, he speaks about <laughs> the surprises that we'll get when we get to heaven and see who's there. He said we'll be very surprised. He said there'll be people from many different church backgrounds. Uh, yeah, he said we'll be very surprised. A lot of interesting, going to be interesting. But he said who is in heaven are humble sinners. And that's a challenge for us. Humble sinners are in heaven. Contrite in heart. Loved ones that are the same. God and the angels. Um, C.S. Lewis in that chapter on hope, he says, um, he says, yeah, some people you know, think of heaven and they think they don't want to go there because people are just, you know, angels are playing harps and all kinds of stuff and so he said, um, he said, no, well, that's not what heaven is. And he unpacked a bit about what heaven is. And then he said, people who, um, people who want to talk about books for grown-ups <laughs> should, uh, 
I can't remember what he said, but he just said it's a book for grown-ups. So if you don't want to approach it and study it, because it's a book for grown-ups, then, then rather don't talk about it, you know. It's not a place where angels are playing harps. They are playing harps, I'm sure. It's very different to what we think. Now, with this longing that we all have, there's three responses that we can kind of give back to this longing. Three responses. Now, this is believers and unbelievers alike. There's the fool's way. So this is in terms of you try things and you don't get satisfied. So the fool puts his blame on the things themselves. He goes on all his life thinking that if he only tried another woman, went on a more expensive holiday, or whatever it is this time, he would catch the mysterious something that we're all after. Most of the bored, discontented, rich people of the world are of this type. They spend their whole lives trotting from woman to woman, from continent to continent, from hobby to hobby, always thinking that the latest is the real thing at last and are always disappointed. So these are C.S. Lewis's responses. The second one is the way of the disillusioned, sensible man, which I think we fall very much, we're tempted by it many times, even as Christians. He soon decides that the whole thing was moonshine. Of course, he says, one feels like that when one is young. You're excited, you, you, know, you try everything. But by the time you get to my age, you've given up on chasing the rainbow's end. And so he settles down and learns not to expect too much and represses the part of himself which used to, as he would say, cry for the moon. This is, of course, a much better way than the first and makes a man much happier and less of a nuisance to society. It tends to make him a prig. I don't know if you know that word, P-R-I-G. But on the whole, he rubs along fairly comfortably. It would be the best line we could take if man did not live forever. But supposing infinite happiness is really there and waiting for us, supposing one can really reach the rainbow's end, in that case, it would be a pity to find out too late, a moment after death, that by our supposed common sense, we have stifled in ourselves the faculty of enjoying it. So... The better country, we're desiring this better country, we all are. I realized, and I, um, I wrote a blog about it last year in May. Yes, I have a blog. <laughs> I think I've written four blogs in the space of 12 years. So I really realized that this blog is just for myself. <laughs> Every now and again, <laughs> to write something down so I can remember it. I wrote a blog about all of these things and about this desire in me. Like, even, I, I've spoken about this before, but even when we moved to Joburg, you kind of go, it's that whole thing of the grass is, is the, you know, the grass is greener on the other side or is the grass always greener on the other side. We've always got this thing that we're wrestling with in terms of what would be better for me, you know, if I move here or if I do this or if I get this job or... Um, in my experience, I've realized that a lot of the time that 
It's not, you know, you get there and you don't get what you actually wanted in the first place. And what, what God's been speaking to me about is actually just this mirror of heaven, this mirror of the eternal that's with us all the time. Um, we'll close with it just now. But even our desire for things to be right, our desire for perfection sometimes, some of us more than others, perfectionists, um, I've got a little bit of OCD, I think. Uh, let me just move my papers. Oh, let's just straighten that. Um, but just that desire for, for, for right, for right things, comes from heaven, eternal in our hearts. It's drawing us. It's drawing us all the time. It's calling out to us. We're going to speak about the third solution. But I love this. Hebrews 11 verse 1 speaks about faith. Now, C.S. Lewis spoke about hope. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So faith is what's tangible here, now, in our lives, in, in this time that we're on earth. That's what faith is here. And faith is action, moving. I, I love also in uh, verse 8 where it says that by faith, Abraham obeyed. That's faith. Real faith is, leads to obedience. It really does. The life in this world is faith. Faith, faith, faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Such a challenge that. The conviction of things not seen. Incredible. We desperately want to see these things. And sometimes we have to live in faith. And what's amazing about Hebrews 11 is you can't get away from the fact that these people died in faith. These people didn't see the fulfillment of the promises, but yet they were strong right to the end. And they are in the hall of faith. In other words, the honor roll, if we had an honor roll up here of faithful people in history, they would be there. It says in verse 6, without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm going to end with this. The Christian way. So C.S. Lewis spoke about the, the man who just tries all kinds of things, just keeps trying, keeps trying all different things and never finds satisfaction. And then the other man who kind of gives up, who goes, well, fine. So that's it. We'll just sit at home and not try. He says, the Christian way, the Christian way, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. That's his huge apologetic. It's an amazing and a rock-solid apologetic for eternity, for God. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hungry. There is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let that sink in. If I find, my, find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, then that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were meant, were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it. I love that. To suggest the real thing. I, it makes sense to me. The things in this world that are beautiful, that are amazing, just point to the greater reality of what God is, has got ahead of us. This points to the, yeah, I'm trying to, like, even for myself, I'm trying to stir in myself this desire for eternity, this longing for eternity. Um, yeah. If that is so, I must take care on one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never mistake them for, some, for the something else of which they are only a copy an echo or a mirage. Super powerful. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. I really feel like that's just burning in my heart. It's just... Really trusting God to open our eyes again to eternity. Where are we going? Speak to some old people. <laughs> Ask old Christians. Well, old non-Christians too. Speak to them. Ask them, what do you think? What's, what's in your mind in terms of where you're going? Like, where, what's beyond the veil of death? Because it's a reality. I just feel like our main object in this life is to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Um, I don't have time to touch on 1 Corinthians 13, but I thought it would be a great scripture just to look at in terms of, there's a, there's a verse there that intrigues me. I'll just read the one verse, and then hopefully it'll intrigue you and you can go read up about it. Verse 10, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. It says, But when the perfect comes, when the perfect comes, it will pass, the, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And in Hebrews 11, close to the end, it actually says, For God had something better in mind for us. In terms of us and the whole of faith and all believers, that they would not reach perfection without us. But I really believe that perfection amongst us today is a mirror of perfection in, in eternity. Because God is perfect. He already is. And the perfect is going to come, and the partial will fall away. The tension is in the partial. And I, I find a freedom in knowing that we're living in the partial. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it easier because the tension is still there and it's still hard to live in this world. But there's a freedom that comes when I go, the perfect is going to come. The perfect is going to come. The end of 1 Corinthians 13, it speaks about now faith, hope, and love abide. C.S. Lewis spoke about hope. We spoke about faith, love is what's left. And uh, he says the greatest of these is love. I don't know if you know why that is. It's actually very practical. 
The greatest of these is love, is because in heaven, hope is going to become experience. Faith is going to become sight. Now it's evidence of the unseen. Faith is going to become sight, but love will remain. Love is the one thing that we take with us here, we experience here, we stir up here, we grow in here, and we take it with us into heaven. That's why love is the greatest. And uh, just to encourage you again, I read through 1 Corinthians 13. I know it's been, like some people, you know, we tend to get bored of things, like C.S. Lewis said. Um, so we kind of tend to get bored about love is kind, love is, you know, patient. But we've got to read that, because that's our lives. That is what we should be spending all our time on, understanding love, moving in love. Growing in love. We're going to take that with us. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. That's interesting. And I saw the holy city. The city that Abraham was looking for, was longing for. Abraham dwelled in tents. He dwelled in tents because he was looking rather for a city an eternal, with internal, eternal foundations. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I can't uh, forget in the movie The Passion of the Christ, there's a scene where they flash back to Jesus' childhood and how he like, runs and falls. And then at the same time, they go back to the present day and Jesus falls with the cross, falls down on his knees, and his mother runs to him. So his mom's like getting this flashback from his childhood, runs to him. Oh. And, um, and she wants to help him. And Jesus just stands up with that cross and and he says to his mom, Behold, mom, behold, mother, I make all things new. I make all things new. And that's Jesus. That's God. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, Jesus, our hearts are burning. Our hearts are burning because you are in our midst. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you that you're drawing us closer to yourself every day. We thank you that we are learning, we're growing. We're growing in faith. We are contending for hope. And we contend for hope. God, and we are growing in love. Father, we thank you right now that you pour out your love in our midst. We spoke about earlier, we prayed about earlier before the service. 
We thank you now, God, just for your love to be poured out, God. I thank you for Romans 5, verse 5, that says the Holy Spirit will pour out the love of God in our midst, will pour out the love of God. We thank you for your love, Lord. And we don't just take it for granted, God. We, 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 we see it as a gift, and we see it as a privilege, and we see it as a responsibility to, to love others, to love each other, God. We thank you, Lord, that we are living in the partial. So we do not expect each other to be perfect. Father, right now we even come and we just repent of expecting each other to be perfect. Father, we even repent of expecting ourselves to be perfect, Father. Right now we come to you and we repent. And we acknowledge, God, that it's a longing in our hearts. It's a longing in our hearts for everything to be made right. It's a longing in our hearts for all things to be new. But God, we pray for love, and I pray for that, God. I ask you for that in our midst. I ask you that we learn to love each other in our small groups, in, uh, just at work, to love our colleagues, to love our families. It's, it's hard, Lord. And it's easy to love until something happens that, that we need to really dig deep. I pray, God, just school us in love. School us in love and give us great grace to do that, Lord. Now, Father, we just pray, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that, that you take us through the word. Father, I pray first and foremost, give us an absolute love for the word of God. Just bring a revival, Lord, in our love for the Word of God. Lord, we will see revival in this country when we are standing with our feet on the Word of God, hungry for the Spirit of God, and being a voice in the city, God. God, humble servants, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. Just open our eyes to see eternity, God, or to hear it, Lord. Let us hear it on the wind, God, when we pray, when we spend time with you, God. We just thank you, Lord. And I just thank you, God, if there's anyone here, Lord, who, who is that first person, the fool, as C.S. Lewis calls him, who's just trying and trying and trying different things, and we even do it, God. We try different things, and we hope for a different uh, solution every time. It doesn't happen. God, I just pray, if there's people like that, Lord, touch our hearts, Lord. Touch our hearts. We don't want to waste time, God, in this world, running after stuff that means nothing. Touch our hearts and, and get our vision straight and our hearts aligned with you. And God, the sensible man, God, many of us have tried things and we've been disappointed, so we go and sit on our couch and we go, this is it. This obviously, life isn't what I, what I thought it was. So I just pray for a renewed vision of the kingdom of God, renewed vision of heaven, renewed vision of you in our midst, God, a renewed vision of the body of Christ that's just teeming with life and beautiful and exciting, God. And I just pray for, just a, a, I almost pray for a healing, Lord, of, that, of, of those hearts, Lord. A fresh excitement, God, to pursue you 
and to pursue eternity, God. Pray for that, Lord. And yeah, in Jesus' name. I just want to end with this one quote. I love it. And then we're done. Sorry, we've gone a bit over time. Listen to this from D.L. Moody's book, Heaven. I've read that on the shores of the Adriatic Sea, the wives of fishermen whose husbands have gone far out upon the deep are in the habit of going down to the seashore at nighttime and singing with their sweet voices the first verse of some beautiful hymn. After they have sung it, they listen until they hear brought on the wind across the sea the second verse sung by their brave husbands as they are tossed about by the gale and both are happy. Both are happy. Perhaps if we listen, we too might hear on this storm-tossed world of ours some sound, some whisper born from afar to tell us that there is a heaven which is our home And when we sing our hymns upon the shore of the earth, perhaps we may hear their sweet echoes breaking in music upon the sands of time and cheering the hearts of those who are pilgrims and strangers along the way. Yes, we need to look up, out, beyond this low earth and build higher in our thoughts and actions, even here. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.